0: Welcome to episode 1142 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast with Fangraphs presented by our Patreon supporters. I'm Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs. Hello. Hello. So teams actually left us alone. Let us enjoy our Thanksgiving. It was a slow end of the week and weekend. Even Jerry DePoto did not make a move although he did start a podcast <laughs> so <laughs> he's coming for us now he's been giving us material all these years but now he's a, a direct competitor so we're we're gunning for you Jerry and i wonder he may not realize podcasts are pretty time consuming as you now know i wonder if he'll have time for as many transactions i have not made a single major league trade since i started this podcast so it can really eat up your time i hope this does not uh, preclude him from his usual activities.
1: Well, you have run drafts on your podcast, That's which is true. effectively the same kind of thing. I wonder if he, uh, if let's say hypothetically, Jerry, first of all, it's weird. Jerry Depoto was a general manager. Why does he have a podcast? What is he doing? This is a. This seems like it's not a a great idea because you you can't you probably can't be so candid in every podcast as he was in his first. There's
0: not always an Otani out there. Yeah, it was all about Otani and how they really want Otani, and you know, and you can do that in this case. It's I mean it's. Not not tampering or anything. He's a free agent. And and as we're going to discuss later in this episode, it's a case where you really have to make that sales pitch to him because it's not about money so much. So there's no downside to being frank about your desire to have him unless you think like playing hard to get is going to land him or something. I, I don't know. This isn't really dating or, or anything like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an unusual move, certainly. But I guess, you know, makes him personable and and gives you that human connection to your GM i guess that's good PR potentially also potentially terrible PR if he says the wrong thing
1: <laughs> i guess when otani is no longer a subject which granted with the Mariners there's a possibility that otani will be a subject for the podcast for quite some time mm-hmm. but you know this whole sweepstakes is likely to play out over the course of about a month and then The probabilities that Otani will not sign with the Mariners, even if they are the favorite, they're not the majority favorite. So I don't know how much more ground there is to cover in more candid terms. Like, I don't think anybody wants 40 minutes of material about Ben Gamel. I could be wrong. (laughs) But, you know, DePoto has an opportunity here. There's a lot of frustration around him. I think that people believe that if the Mariners can sign Otani, then okay, well, a lot is forgiven, and uh, that's exciting. And hey, the team could be good now, but, you know... If and when Otani doesn't sign with the Mariners, the response to the podcast might not be so good. Mm-hmm. Might not be so positive when no. you're talking about like Marco Gonzalez versus Erasmo Ramirez, yeah. who's going to be the number three starter. <laughs> yeah. But it will be interesting not to see do if, a listener oh, emails segment if that's the case. <laughs> they absolutely that, should do a listener emails <laughs> podcast. I would love to hear that. Like reading mean tweets. <laughs> right. But it will be interesting <laughs> to see how long it takes until DePoto A tries to have another GM on the
0: podcast or B, successfully <laughs> has another GM yeah, on the podcast right? because that would be a delight to listen just, to. Yeah, it takes listener submissions for moves he should make and then tries to make them and talks about how it went <laughs> or something like that. That would be, I mean, that'd be the best baseball podcast there is, but I'm guessing that's not going to happen. So anyway, it was a, a fairly slow week and it's kind of, Otani giveth and Otani taketh away because, A, we can all talk about Otani. That's what this episode is going to be about. But Otani also has seemed to put a complete damper on the rest of the market. So, you know, Doug Fister is signing with the Rangers and that's about it. Good signing. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, uh, you know, that's... <laughs> no, no, no. That was not sufficient enthusiasm. Oh, a okay. good signing. Oh, well, we can, we can do 20 minutes on Doug Pfister if you want. I know that you've. Nah, I might need that for Friday. Yeah, you've written about Doug Fister before. He's he's an interesting player, right? He's gone from, you know, the scrap heap to good again to maybe not good again. He's one of those guys you can kind of debate what he actually is. But that's pretty much it. And this has been a very slow to start market. And as we'll talk about later in this episode, that's probably because every team is occupied with Otani, at least in part. So. We're just going to get to that, I guess. Although I do want to ask you just briefly about the pitch clock because you wrote about mm. it and you made a point about it at the end of last week. And this is something that we've talked about on the podcast before that it's inevitable, that it's worked fine in the minors, that we're fine with it. And clearly it looks like we're going to be getting it for 2018 in the majors, whether the players are on board with it or not. So, what was the observation you made about the pitch clock that maybe it's not quite as momentous a? a change as people might be thinking
1: there's really two things about it but the second one is enforcement which we can talk about another day but the the first point is just that the proposed pitch clock would have a timer of 20 seconds i don't know how closely it will hew to the minor league rule probably extremely Mm -hmm. closely but the rule that buster only reported is at least the proposed rule would be that there would be a pitch clock of 20 seconds between pitches where you have to at least begin your motion after 20 seconds uh following the previous pitch with no No runners on base, which is an important provision in there because pitchers slow down significantly when runners are on base. That is where the game really tends to drag. There are, of course, pitchers who take a long time. Even when the bases are empty, I did an analysis of Pedro Baez's career and found that in games where he pitched exclusively with no runners on base, he still had like 28 seconds between pitches, which is entirely too many yes. although when runners were on base then it skyrocketed to 37 oh. seconds between pitches which is just <laughs> put him in jail yes. but League-wide, there is that standard roughly 8 to 9 second difference between pace with runners on base and with runners not on base. And the relatively unexplored angle on this, but that Ken Rosenthal and some others have, have pointed out, is that this will also compel some hitters to speed up because there are some guys who just take their damn time for seemingly no reason at all. And of course, the pitchers are giving them no negative feedback because the pitchers take their time too. But there are guys like, I don't know, Robinson Cano or O'Double Herrera who are going to need to pick up the pace. I'm probably going to write about this as soon as we're done recording because, as you mentioned, what else is there to do? right now but the kind of big question the pitch clock is inevitable it's going to be in the game it seems like for 2018 and beyond it'll be there the question will be enforcement because from at least anecdotal evidence in the minor leagues it's basically unenforced it's there it's a suggestion it's helped we know that games have sped up but umpires don't seem to be calling many automatic balls or against the hitter automatic strikes you wonder if in the major leagues i mean first of all it's a higher level it's a more important level so you would think that certainly at first the rule would be enforced pretty tightly, but maybe just having the games televised and having, like, several times more fans in the stands will... Make the rule enforced more closely Mm -hmm. Because in the minors you can kind of get away with that stuff Who's really paying attention, who really cares But in the majors, maybe you can Probably, at least you can hope That it would be enforced more tightly So something to watch, and I I am Generally supportive, although It was uh, was the playoffs that Made me believe that they really need to do something About mound meanings as well Yes, I'm with
0: you there Alright, so we're going to talk about Otani for the rest Of this episode, and The news with him, he's probably going to be posted as soon as this Friday, just has to be Approved by the owners, the posting agreement that the league and the NPB and the Players Association agreed on last week Has to be ratified, but it's probably a, a rubber stamp sort of situation So we're very close to bidding being open And in preparation for that, Otani's agent has sent a memo to the teams with seven questions that they are supposed to answer and send back to him They all have homework, Otani homework, and (laughs) <laughs> we are going to ask about how teams might go about crafting their responses to these questions, how they might differ, what considerations they'll all be taking into account. And to do that, we're going to be bringing on a longtime baseball executive and also former Fangraphs writer, Tony Blengino, who will give us his perspective on this. Do
1: you—we're going to have 30 teams submitting yeah. memos to Otani's representation here, making the case that, hey, come to us. But do you think—do you Do you suspect—what audience you put on Scott Boris's agency also submitting a memo to represent Otani for his next contract. Because, you know, Boris wants nothing to do with this first one. There's it's small prize. Right. There's there's no money to be made here. But like the next one, come on, <laughs> come on, Shohei Otani. Scott Boris can can
0: get you the big bucks. Yeah. So I I wonder, you you figured Boris has got to be sniffing around I here. I wonder, I mean, he must have already been, right? Because Otani was in the market for an agent. Maybe Boris already made his pitch and was rejected. I don't know. But you'd think he must have been involved in that. And I will say that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we were working for teams, I feel like this is where we would shine. This once-in-a-lifetime free agency that involves a written memo and written responses, this would be our wheelhouse. Because when I interned <laughs> for a team, there were... Very few opportunities for me to use my writing ability. Like, it just wasn't something that the team really needed me to do. Occasionally, I would send some memos out about, like, obscure rules to coaches and minor league managers and you know just kind of organizational people just like hey be aware of this rule it's a rule you might not know about and maybe this situation will crop up and you'll be able to exploit it so that was like one of my assignments but that was kind of the only thing i did that really required expository writing and and if we were with teams i feel like we would be the the go-to people for the otani memo at least for for drafting it like former you know internet writers this would be the time for us to shine so i mean not being able to write much is part of the reason why i don't want to work for teams and also part of the reason why they don't want me to work for them but in this specific situation this would be a a rare opportunity to showcase those chops so i'm i'm sorry i don't get to submit a memo but i'd really like to read them so there's that if we quit right now, how fast do you think we can get hired by different <laughs> Just teams? like as a consultant on the Otani memo or just... Just anything. Just, just uh, anything. Yeah. I think uh, I think you would beat me to it. I think depends if we'd be willing to do total entry level, take anything. And I guess, are we talking baseball operations only? I don't know. That would be tougher, obviously. But entry level, if we're willing to do like some kind of paid internship or something, I bet we could get in there somewhere for next season. But an actual desirable position, I, I don't think that would happen, at least not for me. Okay, as soon as we hang up, I'm gonna race you to Otani.
1: I'm gonna get my team's okay. gonna sign him first. Alright. Well, we will be right back with To I know
0: you don't think much of it. Someday
1: you'll understand. Will you learn how to talk baby i will show you how smart I am. I wanna show you how smart I am.
0: All right. So we are joined now by Tony Blungino, who was the special assistant to the GM in baseball operations for the Mariners for several years, from 2008 to 2013, was a front office employee of the Brewers before that, and was a writer for FanCrafts subsequent to that. Hello, Tony. Hey, how you doing, Ben? How you doing, Jeff? Hello. Good. Yeah. So, I guess that you must have left the Mariners right around the time that the Robinson Cano pursuit was ramping up. But I'm I'm curious, based on your experience of signing free agents, obviously the Otani case is unique, and the fact that money isn't really part of the discussion here, or at least there's nothing that teams can do, at least, uh, you know, publicly to increase their offer to Otani. So it comes down to all these other factors. But in your time working for teams, how often did it happen that Signing a free agent came down to something other than just offering the most money or how often was the pursuit of a free agent about more than just submitting the offer and and waiting, you know, when it came to actually wooing a player and convincing him to sign with your team for a reason other than. Hey, we're offering you the most money.
2: Well, I think every free agent is different, but you're right. Most of them do come down to dollars and cents, no matter how much they like to talk a good game during the courtship process. I think this is kind of an extra special case due to the quality and uniqueness of the player, the fact he's from Asia, mm-hmm. all kinds of CBA implications, et cetera, and it's really kind of one of the many things holding up this off season from actually getting started to not have anybody sign before Thanksgiving. It feels like a first to me in recent history. So, um, you know, being with the Mariners, I think there's, there were some, comparisons on a, on a smaller scale to, say, the Iwakuma signing. Mm. I don't really feel it would have ever come down to money with Iwakuma. There were a few places he wanted to go, and I think, it, you know, the fact the whole thing that he went to L.A. and then came back to Seattle after the physical issues with the physical with L.A., you know, he just had – Seattle was the place he wanted to be. And if the money was reasonable, I think that's the place he wanted to go. Now, like I said, there's all kinds of other factors with Atani that are going to make this – you know, maybe close to the Tanaka uh, situation a few years ago, but the fact that he hits and pitches, you know, makes it different altogether.
1: So we get emails on the regular, probably several a day, where people come in with suggestions on ideas they think that they have discovered ways to get around the restrictions in the CBA to try to promise Otani something, something additional beyond you know the the bare minimum and the standard minor league contract. The CBA seems to contain an all-encompassing provision that basically says no don't do anything nothing at all obviously you aren't in the game right now but i wonder how much time have you spent trying to figure out a way around the cba or maybe do you think that there do you think that, that baseball has left open some sort of loophole such that a team can find some particular way some provision to give otani something beyond just the standard deal
2: well i think teams are going to do that at their own risk right now with a capital r you know given the situation that just happened with the braves they, they go trying to pull a fast one here that they're being watched very carefully. You know, honestly, I don't think it's all that complicated, even though it's going to be very interesting to watch. The money is not a big deal now. The money is going to be a big deal in two years. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling from everything I've read and heard about Otani that comfort, fit. Especially, you know, being an Asian player coming to the States in a very unique playing situation off the field, you know, support from the organization, support from the community, all those things are bigger factors than the money right now. I think the D eight league has a huge advantage because no matter how superhuman he, he is and can do this hit pitch thing at a high level, there are going to be days he's going to want to take his four at-bats from the DH slot. The American League is at a huge advantage here. So I really think it's going to be a lot of these non-dollar factors that are going to steer him to the American League and probably steer him to one of a small group of franchises in the American
0: League. So we've heard it's been reported that the agent for Otani, Nezbolello of CAA, has told teams to basically submit their best pitches for Otani and their seven questions that they are supposed to answer in this memo, supposedly. And mm-hmm. it's not anything to do with money. And it's just all the, the kind of extra factors that you're referring to there. So first of all, I just want to ask, is this Unique, was there ever anything like this in your experience where a free agent or an agent would come along and say, pitch us basically, or you know, send us your best whatever memo or PowerPoint presentation or whatever it is. And here are the questions that we want answered. And here are the submissions. I mean, this is a unusual situation for all the reasons that we've discussed, but are you familiar with any other kind of courtship process like this?
2: I think a lot of, a lot of free agents go some of the way down this path, both from the agent's Mm -hmm. perspective and from the team's perspective. I can remember, you know, going to the winter meetings and You know, in a given day, sitting through four or five agents' pitches on on their various clients, and they were PowerPoints, and they were, you know, they were slick, and they were streamlined. And it's been on the other side with the club, too. You're talking about a a high-end guy. They want to know everything. They want to know everything about the organization from soup to nuts, everything about the community, everything about the support system, especially when you're talking about a foreign player. So
0: it goes on on a lot of other free agents, but not as publicly and not under such a microscope. Mm -hmm. So there's this seven question memo and just generally, I mean, what, what would your approach to this be? And what do you think team's approach to crafting this kind of thing would be? Like, do you want to submit the book length memo to show how much you care and how well prepared you are? Do you want to go with, you know, two pages and bullet points just because it's more comprehensible? I mean, do you want to be totally honest or do you want it to be more of a just straight up sales pitch and maybe you exaggerate a little bit or do you figure every other team is going to do that so maybe you want to be the team that is being real with Otani in a way that some other teams are that kind of thing so what do you think the strategies are i guess how how different might one team's memo look from the other teams memos well i i think the first important
2: factor is this is not the
0: beginning of the process this
2: is well into the process. Teams have been planning for this for quite a while. They didn't know exactly when he was going to come over, but when you've got a guy like who can do what he can do on both ends of the baseball, this is a guy who's been drawing scouting resource, higher upper end front office resource for quite a while now. The teams that are serious about Otani have been working this for a while in terms of building the relationship. And ultimately, that's very likely what's going to carry the day is the relationship since the money is only going to be in a very narrow band. So, mm-hmm. sure, the the the, the, na- the nature of the presentation will vary from group to group. You will have some that will take the look how smart we are, look how official and corporate we are. We, you know, you know, we're we're just the salt of the earth type approach to the you know, I'm your buddy. Come be come be one of us. We're building something here approach to. Mm -hmm. So I think what ultimately will be the most successful one, which is the people who have gotten to know him already kind of know or or at least got to know his representation, know what makes them tick, know what buttons to push and, you know, maybe can hone into which of those seven questions are the most important and build their presentation around that.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, with all this time, teams have been throwing resources at the Otani Pursuit, as you mentioned, for years now with an indefinite arrival date, but still, there this has been a full-court press. I know Jerry Depoto. I think his specific words were full-court press, but he, I'm sure the Mariners are not alone here. And Would you or do you have any amount of concern at all that this is going to be... At least in modern era, an unprecedented situation with a uh, a highly sought after player who's going to try to do two different things. Do you have any amount of concern at all that Otani could just th- this whole pursuit could be making a a bad first impression for future teammates? Do you think that there could be some sort of resentment over the special treatment being granted to a a player who's never played in the major leagues?
2: I don't think so. I mean, alpha dogs. Respect other alpha dogs. Think, you know, think back to Ichiro coming over. I mean, Ichiro's only a one-way player, not a two-way player. But here's this small guy who comes over his first year and does what he does what he did, and the Mariners win two million games. So this is that generation of players still who know. They've played in World Baseball Classics. They know who the best players in the world are. This isn't some guy just coming down in an alien spaceship. And, you know, nobody knows what he is. He is already respected as a world-class flyer. Can he do what he's going to attempt to do on the biggest stage will be very interesting for everybody to see. But I don't think respect from teammates or respect from peers is going to be an issue.
0: And what do you think about the actual mechanics of writing this memo or the responses to this memo? Like if this had happened five years ago and you're the special assistant, are you the one who's sitting down to draft this thing? I mean, it would vary by team, of course, but you know, would, would a GM be handwriting this thing? Would the whole front office be having meetings and then one person who is maybe a, the best writer gets delegated to go do it? Or is there some kind of Google Doc where everyone is collaborating on the, the Otani memo? How do you think this works?
2: Well, I think it's a team effort. I think there'll be some liaison with the baseball department you know with the pr people you know Mm. with the you know owners and president's offices this is a organization-wide pursuit but i think one key is you got to remember who you're doing this presentation for you're not doing it for nez you're doing it for for otani so you better have somebody Mm -hmm. who writes in japanese you better have somebody who understands you know the colloquialisms in japanese so you don't make any uh you know snafus of sorts where you're using words in a word right in a way you shouldn't be using them. You've got to take that aspect of it very seriously as
0: well. Right. Yeah. It has to be submitted in both English and Japanese. But of course, you want to make sure that you're not just plugging the English version right. into Google Translate or something. <laughs> so, um, so let's go point by point here. So number one is an evaluation of Shohei's talent as a pitcher and or hitter. And What would you do here? Would you go super advanced stat on this? Would you go full scouting report? Do you just say generally we think Otani can be a hitter And a pitcher. And I guess just do you have any sense of how much the opinions might vary on Otani as opposed to a typical free agent who has major league service time and also is not both a pitcher and a hitter? I mean, I'd imagine that with most free agents, you're getting them after they've had several years in the majors. And, you know, maybe one team thinks, oh, this is a four-win player and another team thinks this is a three-win player or something. But it's probably not going to be differing that dramatically. But with Otani, do you think there is... A consensus? Do you think that teams for the most part agree on what he is or what he can be? Or, you know, maybe in the memo you just say, well, he's gonna be the best at everything anyway, just because you don't wanna say too much negative stuff in here. But I wonder how much agreement there actually is.
2: Well, as far as the memo goes, I would I would just make sure you believe what you put in the memo. If you were going to puff him up as the greatest thing of all time, you better you better mean it. Because the first time he hits a patch of adversity and you want him to, to not hit, not take his Four at bats every day is not pitching. They're going to say, "Hey, wait! You thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread." So, mean mean what you put yes. in the presentation would be the most important thing. Secondly, I'd say from an objective, you know, evaluation of his ability, I think the, the stuff pitching wise plays. There's no doubt about that. There's always some doubt about whether an offensive player is going to translate to the best league in the world. And I think he will probably have more growing pains as a hitter than he does as a pitcher. Uh, health being, you know, being a given, assuming he's healthy. Mm-hmm. So my gut is that's probably how teams would evaluate him. But as far as they what, what they put in the presentation, I mean, I think you want to be positive in general, but don't go... Blowing him up into something he might not be because it might come back to haunt you pretty quickly. I mean, he can always, he can sign with a team for now and then leave in two years or, or whenever he becomes a free agent. So he's going, he, he needs to be happy once he gets where he's going.
0: Mm -hmm. And I guess since he's the target of this memo, you're probably not going to be drowning him in advanced stats or something. You're just going to want to say, we see you as a, you know, top of the rotation starter and a middle of the order hitter, you know, or a regular DH or whatever.
2: And I would probably want to compare him to some uh, U.S. players, which would probably Mm -hmm. honor him
1: on some level. Uh Uh-huh. I don't want to get too far ahead trying to project what Otani is going to be as a player but you know if if he is going to be getting the the double playing time situation I know the Mariners have already said that they'd be willing to play Nelson Cruz a few days in the outfield etc just to try to find some room. Let's say hypothetically Otani comes out and he sort of establishes himself as, you know, a Pretty good hitter, even a great hitter for a pitcher, but say he's like a, I don't know, a 90 to 100 OPS plus kind of guy, where he's just, sometimes he kind of looks like an average hitter, but I don't know, maybe he strikes out too much, doesn't hit for enough power, whatever. How much patience do you think a team would be willing to extend to him if he is a... Below average designated hitter when he's not pitching, do you think that teams would be willing to convince themselves that it's just sort of the cost of doing business and this is what you have to live with when you have Otani as a pitcher? Or how soon do you think a team might approach him if he's not a good enough hitter and say, you know what, we kind of need to cut down on your hitting playing time here? Well,
2: I I look at the DH. DH is an advantage that it's there, but it's a fallback. To me, this is only long-term really attractive this two-way experiment, if he can play the field and play it fairly well. Am I going to spend, in a couple years, $250 million on a long-term deal for a DH slash pitcher and like you said the dh is a 9100 guy and you're throwing nelson cruz or someone or the equivalent of nelson cruz in the right field that may not be where you want to go if this is all about winning if this is all about building franchise value and if this is all about opening up a pipeline of players from from the far east then maybe you'd you'd swallow hard and you do that but if you if you get a 9100 right fielder who can throw and who can play defense? And he pitches every fifth or sixth day. That's a different story. That's an asset. But if if you're if you're going into it from the get go saying okay well, he's going to be our DH when he doesn't pitch that doesn't sound like an, unless he unless he can hit like Nelson Cruz that doesn't sound like a tremendously interesting long term uh, situation. Short term, couple years when you're paying him the minimum, sure, whatever. But long term, if I'm going to write the big check for this guy, I want him to be able to play the field too.
0: Mm. Well, he has done that to some extent in Japan, but not recently, really, because I think there was just a concern about how much of a strain that would be and how much fatigue there would be. I mean, I'd have to imagine even if he could do it and supposedly he has, I mean, we know he has a great arm, obviously, and, you know, supposedly he can cover ground too. But that's uh, a lot to ask when you're having a guy not only pitch every fifth or sixth day, but also be in the fields in the interim, running around and standing. And I mean, that's, that's, I don't know. It is, but
2: that's, that's, that's what this is all. That's what this whole Otani thing is, right? It's something special, something unique, something different. He's in the prime of his athletic life.
0: Maybe he can't do that mm -hmm. forever, but you know. Can he do it in the short term? All right. And then the next item on the memo is player development, medical training, and player performance philosophies and capabilities, which is pretty broad, pretty open-ended. I don't know what you would want to try to stress there. Maybe this is the place if you have like a a team philosophy like your Cardinals Way equivalent. Maybe you put that here. This is an area where maybe you could get into some sort of proprietary stuff that maybe you wouldn't want to be sending to an agent that you you don't know exactly where this memo will end up. So what kind of information would you be comfortable putting in there? And what, what do you think you would want to emphasize?
2: Well, it seems to me what he's talking about here is, is not so much player development in The way the day-to-day American fan thinks of it, like minor league system, promotions, et cetera, you know how we, you know, what we want our minor leaguers to do. It seems to me that this is more or less. He's talking about keeping people healthy. Uh, How you Mm -hmm. know that's kind of worldwide, probably even more so than in the United States. You know, with 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 soccer across the world, there's so many. You know, you want to talk advanced analytics. uh, This is where probably the next edges are going to be gotten is keeping players right. healthy and keeping them at peak performance. I mean, I know that the Philadelphia 76ers just hired, I forget which, I think it's, it's, um, either Real Real Madrid's a med- medical director to kind of oversee their program. So I think the rest of the world may be a little bit ahead of us here. And Otani's people may want to see who's on the cutting edge in terms of, you know, medical, you know, wellness, you know, keeping players healthy, keeping them at peak performance et cetera. Um, that's where I would focus here. And if you don't have, if you don't uh, have an advanced approach here, you need to get one quickly and at least have plans for one, um, because this is where the sport's going. And that's why I think that there may, if there may be a few reasonable contenders weeded out on this one. And Mm -hmm. And I do think another factor that can come in here is, you know, good organizations can take advanced metrics and get actionable data you know swing mechanics etc you know deliveries release points etc turn that data into actionable intelligence and this is where you may want to show what you've done successfully with a player in the past you know like if houston would be in the mix here what they did with verlander when he came over Mm -hmm. to make his stuff play up more so this is where you might want to show off a couple of those analytics both batted ball you know pitch fx hit fx type metrics and also some medical stuff i think that the medical could be very key here.
1: Okay, so what you're saying mm-hmm. is Otani will not sign with the Mets. So we're uh, we're going <laughs> down the list, and uh, if we're just going to hit on point number three. Point number three uh, highlights major league, minor league, and spring training facilities. Obviously, teams have different facilities. One of the best things about baseball is all the ballparks are different, but it's 2017. It's about to be 2018. The Cubs even found a way to renovate Wrigley Field. To what extent is there even really stratification, I guess, between major league organizations in terms of the facilities that they offer?
2: Well, this is prob. this one is probably just going to probably cut off a few teams at the bottom maybe, because I think you're right. I think most teams have stepped up their game in this area, but I'll I'll go back to Ichiro again. You know, Ichiro, the the Mariners from the get-go made a lot of adjustments for Ichiro in terms of There was a batting machine that he brought over from Japan. This is the batting machine he wanted. He used it. No one else used it. They're probably looking for some flexibility because Otani may have had, has had great success doing things his way. I'm sure there are going to be some things he's going, to want, he's going to be open to with the club that he plays for, but there's going to be things that he's done, quote-unquote, his way, that he's going to want to continue to do his way, and he's going to want the flexibility to be able to do that. And sometimes that might require adjustment of you know physical plant in both your spring training facility and, or at, at the ballpark in the batting cage or something small. It might be something very, very minute that is very important to Otani, and he's just probing to make sure he's going to be able to do things the way he wants to do them. He's not looking for, like, an extra box for his family or something, probably. He'll get something like that, but I don't think that's what this bullet point's about.
0: Yeah, I wonder if this comes down to aesthetics at all. I mean, it's easy to sell your ballpark if it's AT and T or something. I, you know, if if you're in the Coliseum or Tropicana or something, maybe you just don't include pictures <laughs> or something in this in this presentation. I don't know, but or maybe it, maybe this is a place where you could work in how you think Otani's skills would fit in your park for whatever reason. Particularly if you think they would enhance his his swing, if you have his spray charts or whatever, or, you know, you know where guys hit the ball against him, maybe that's something that at least certain teams could emphasize here and impress him that they've, you know, actually looked into his performance and projected how he would do. And maybe that is both flattering and also appealing if there is a a strong case that it would actually enhance his value to that team or his, his stats in some way.
2: Well, I think one thing that probably might fly under the radar on this one is I really think training in Arizona is a big advantage over training in Florida. And it's just mm-hmm. day-to-day life in spring training. You take a 45-minute drive at most to the ballpark you're going to play at, and you've got the rest of your day. In Florida, you are on I-4, or you are on the Alligator Alley, or you are in traffic, or you have a thunderstorm right at game time. In Arizona, it's on autopilot.
0: Mm-hmm. So four and five on this memo seem like they're somewhat similar, maybe have a little overlap. Four is resources for Shohei's cultural assimilation. Five is a detailed plan for integrating Shohei into the organization. And this seems like an area where a a team like the Mariners, for instance, as Jerry Depoto has mentioned, would have a leg up just because they have had a, a Japanese player on their rosters for many years now and there's a a long legacy and I assume there's some infrastructure built up there to ease that transition. But what kind of things our team's doing in this area? And, you know, this is maybe a a little bit different from, say, a a 16-year-old Dominican kid who's just coming over to the States for the first time or something. And, you know, Tani's an adult, but it's still potential for a culture shock. So what kind of things could teams do or or have teams already done to differentiate themselves here?
2: Well, I think there's, there's one thing that teams probably have had to have done already, and there's another one that they could do moving forward. I'd say at this point, teams like the Mariners have an advantage because they have personnel who have been translators. They had the same guy translating for um, Ichiro for a long period of time. And then Ichiro left, Iwakuma came, the same person, you know, and then I think another person has been there for a few years as well, too. They have people who have been doing these jobs for periods of years, procedures in place for how, you know, the club and the player interact. It's all about keeping the player comfortable and It's one thing for a team to say, okay, we've done this since 2001. And it's another thing to say, okay, well, we're going to try We're going to do this. We've never done it before. We're going to try to hire people who work for other clubs, but there's going to be a learning curve there. I mean, Texas did it with Darvish, you know, there's that have done it and there's teams that haven't done it and the teams that have done it have an advantage there in terms of what was the other piece of it? It was the... Uh, yeah, integrating him into the organization. Right, right. And, that's, yeah. and that's something teams, you don't necessarily have an advantage if you've done it already. You know, you pitch once a week in Japan, and you pitch deep into the game, and a lot of times you're expected to finish the game. So I know when I- Iwakuma came over, he was brutal at the beginning of spring training. And there were people who didn't want to keep him, They who wanted to eat the money on Iwakuma. Now, we couldn't do that. I mean, we, we wouldn't do that with a free agent from the U S let alone, you know, someone from, from Japan when we had Japan, Japanese ownership at the time. So we had to just basically shut him down, start him up. It was a totally different, uh, spring training than he was used to. And yeah. he had and you know, once you get him built up, you have to get him into that every fifth day versus every seventh day mode. It's something that a team can that hasn't done it before can plan for. So I, I guess it's a small advantage, at least, to have been through it before with a player. But it is a different world for a pitcher, pitching every fifth day versus every seventh day, No matter no matter how much physical talent you have and no matter how clean a bill of health you have. It's just different.
1: Related to integrating Otani into an organization, I've asked this of a few people because the pessimist or I guess cynic in me tries to win out and a few people have reassured me, but maybe you don't have to be explicit, you don't have to name any names, but how many how many front offices in baseball, even if the number is zero, do you think might have the uh let's say stones to have Otani start the year in the minor leagues to get that extra year of service time?
2: Wow. I think that's something that would be addressed in the in the in the build-up in this whole process. And yeah, don't put that in the memo. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if I, you're going to do that, I think a player, a team that wants to keep him for the long haul, considering the limited financial outlay at the beginning here, you roll with him in the big leagues. You stick with him. If you put him in the minor leagues you're losing him. I can't imagine a scenario in which he shows up in spring training just flat, not good enough. I can, imma- I can imagine a scenario when he, he comes and he gets hurt or something like along those lines, and it certainly impedes his ability. But if he comes over as the player that everybody's been watching, I don't think there's a team in baseball that would stick him in the minor leagues to save what they think is a year of control when that year of control ain't going to be theirs. It'll be
0: somebody else's. Mm -hmm. So number six and seven, the last questions on the memo, also somewhat interrelated here. So number six, why the city and franchise are a desirable place to play, and seven, relevant marketplace characteristics. And so I guess this is kind of the the tourist board portion of the memo here, where you have to sell your city, sell your franchise history, and it kind of depends maybe on what Otani is looking for. I, I don't know if he wants the biggest spotlight and the most exposure and the best potential to be famous and have endorsement deals or whether he wants the opposite of that. I don't have a great sense of that. Maybe teams do, but that might influence what you emphasize here. So who gets involved in something like this? I mean, this seems like something that would be the whole organization, or maybe even some source outside the organization, that you would want to consult and say, "What's what's the best thing about our city and our market?"
2: Well, I'd, I'd say there's you know there's two points here. The first one is a little bit under the radar. Picture yourself being really at the top of your profession in something, and now going to practice that profession in a foreign land where you don't know the language. And, you know, I don't, I don't even know if Otani's married and has children and, you know, all of a sudden this is your lifestyle. No matter how good good you are at what you do, there's a big percentage of the day where you're not doing that. And you need to be comfortable that you're going to, you and your family are going to enjoy where you are, are going to be accepted where you are and are going to thrive, you know, personally where you are. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal, and that's and I you know I don't is there a market in the U.S. where you can't build a scenario where this person will be happy? I think even the markets that aren't attractive could build a case and could build a support system that would satisfy a player here, but maybe not excite a player. This is where I think the organizations on the West Coast have a big advantage, and some of the right. large markets, you know, potentially New York, maybe Boston, Chicago would probably have a little bit more upside here than the other organizations and the other the other part of it is pure business how are you going to build your brand you know beyond baseball can you become an icon i would assume if they're asking this question that's kind of what they're going for here they've seen each row before them do that so it's a chance to really i mean the amount of media that follows even the lesser japanese players around is, is amazing it's just it's a multiplier effect on how many players are paying attention to you when you go beyond the traditional U.S. market. I mean, I saw some list of the 100 most bankable athletes in sports. And there are only a handful of baseball players on it. Who's going to be that baseball player that does what the soccer players have done, that does what LeBron has done? That could be what they have their eyes on here. Is this the guy? I mean, Mike Trout is great, but for whatever reason, Mike Trout hasn't become the bankable mega recognizable person. Mike Trout could walk, could still walk down a street in, in the t- in the town he plays in and go unnoticed, I'd bet you. I mean, Mike Trout sits in the front row at Eagles games every week and nobody bothers him. <laughs> I mean, Otani's going for something beyond that, I would have to think. And mm. what you do in that situation, you get the, the big leagues in business from your maybe you get him to a lunch with some of the, you know, the heavy hitters out, you know, in sports and outside of sports in your area. Just get them for a meet and greet with those people and put them in a situation where, you know, I know these people, you know, there there are deals to be made if deals need to be made in this city. And again, there are cities that are going to have advantages over other cities in that regard, both because of the ethnic makeup of certain cities, as well as the thriving metropolis nature of certain cities compared to others. Think again, the West Coast is going to have an advantage over the Rust Belt here. It's just the way it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So you know, I I do think that this is this is bigger than baseball, and I think Tanaka was bigger than baseball too. Back in 2001, was Ichiro bigger than baseball? No, I don't. I don't know that it was. It became bigger than anybody thought it would be because of how good he was yeah. and how quickly he was good, and how quickly the team got good because he was there in in large part. So, mm-hmm. but now there's players in every sport who you know LeBron's done his thing a step of the way. He's, his his performance, his product productivity, is never suffered but he's become you know one of the five or ten most valuable athletes in the world and you know Otani, Otani, on one on one level is challenging himself going into the biggest stage and seeing how good he can be but he doesn't need to do this he's doing this for i'm sure a lot of reasons many of them personal that he won't share with anybody but on some level there is some sort of world stage that he wants to conquer
0: If you flip that around from the team's perspective, the potential for Otani to become this transcendent star, how do you value that? If you were consulting on this process, would you attempt to put a number on that publicity value? Maybe sometimes it's called marquee value. There have been various analytical attempts to try to put some dollar figure on that, but it's an imprecise science. So, I mean, if you sign Otani, obviously you're guaranteeing yourself basically the biggest baseball story of the offseason, the biggest baseball story of spring training, maybe the biggest baseball story of the 2018 season. And then after that, it depends on whether he actually plays well or not. But you're at least having the potential for a real crossover star, not only the most visible player in this sport, but someone, you know, fans of other sports, people who don't usually pay attention to sports or to baseball are going to be aware of Otani if he is actually doing the two-way player thing and having some success. So how do you Put a, a number on what that is worth to you, not just in terms of on-field performance, but maybe the marketing and the brand awareness.
2: I don't even know that you need to put a number on it. I think you focus on the transformation. I mean, everybody everybody who likes baseball knows baseball is a global sport, but the people who aren't really into baseball don't really have a sense of that. They look at, at baseball as you know mostly an American sport. He can be the one who can change that. And there is no price tag on that you don't have to put a number on that you just say if you can do this you are the face of baseball worldwide and yeah there is no limit all the parameters change i mean will that actually happen who knows but if you're trying to sign this guy you have to put that out there and say that you you can be the one who can transform the international perception of this sport and coming here gives you the best chance to do that.
1: From the outsiders or I guess pseudo outsiders perspective that we have, it's of course very difficult to identify who might be favorites in the sweepstakes. We can assume that Shohei Otani probably doesn't want to sign with like the Tigers in their current franchise situation. Now we don't actually know that for sure. He might want to give himself the biggest challenge
0: possible, but yeah. If I can interrupt for one second, that's the only thing that maybe surprises me that is missing from this memo is just kind of a like, How good is your team? (laughs) Or like, you know, what? where do you see your team in five years? That kind of thing. I mean, maybe they figure the team isn't really going to be able to be honest and objective about that anyway. But, you know, are you going to rebuild? Are you actually going to surround Otani with a winner for his whole time with team control? That's the... One thing that I would be wondering about that is not explicitly covered in here, although you could probably work it in at some point. Anyway, go ahead, Jeff.
1: I mean, along those similar lines, I was just wondering if what you, Tony, think within the game, If do you think that teams perceive that there is some sort of like hierarchy of favorites here do you think that those perceptions are are even necessarily accurate like how much more insight do you think that the teams who are involved in this have on who does and doesn't have a shot at otani versus how much of this do you think is is really kind of a a complete mystery like the mystery that it it seems to be from our perspective
2: well i'm sure the the teams themselves have a much better feel for contact for who's been in ballparks, how, you know, whether the GM's been in there, con, you know, high-level conversations. Every every team's doing, you know, doing their little high-level intelligence and getting back to their people with what they know. Now, a lot of times, that just creates disin- as much disinformation as it creates information. But it's a unique circumstance. Money isn't necessarily the object. So, in theory, all 30 teams on some level are involved. Maybe Baltimore's not because they don't have any international money. And there are a couple teams that have almost no international money, but hey, if you're going to make a, a, over $100 million in a couple of years, maybe you'll take a $3 million haircut now if, you, if you're going to the place you really want to be in. But I think you can read between the lines and some of the questions that they're asking that, you know, there may be eight franchises that have, that have a legitimate shot here. When you talk about the city, when you talk about history with Japanese players, When you talk about being a place where he could build a brand, I would probably say we're talking Seattle, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Boston. Did I forget any of the big ones? And there's probably a wild card out there somewhere, a young up and coming team who, you know, could Houston because they won. Could they be the the dark horse? Could Milwaukee, with their young team and their history of their recently developed history of turning Chase Andersons into really good pitchers, be able to show them something on an analytical level and say, you know what, we can make you this much better than you already are. So I do think there's probably the eight or so, you know consensus favorites and there's probably one or two teams paddling like ducks to get it to be to be that one outside dark horse candidate that i think will be in the mix till the very end
0: yeah and it seems like a case where if you're a team you want to kind of signal to your fan base that you're doing everything you can to get him because this is you know this is a situation where every team is theoretically in the running and teams that are not normally even remotely in the market for the biggest free agent available are in the market, at least, you know, in theory. So everybody can afford I think a lot of, right. And I think a lot of teams, uh, some fans may not realize that I, you know, I've seen tweets to the effect of, oh, they'll, they'll never shell out the money to get Otani, you know, just people not understanding how strange <laughs> a, a case this is where money is not really what's going to land him. But, you know, if you're a team that is not historically in the running for this type of guy, well, you might not be in the running even now, but you You can at least send a signal that that you are and, you know, back it up with an offer because you can afford it. So you might as well just make your fans think that you put the effort out there and you tried to get him at least just seems like good PR to do, even if you don't really think it's going to work. So anyway, this is a fascinating process. I would love to see these memos if anyone feels like <laughs> leaking us the memo <laughs> responses that would be uh that'd be great we'd get a lot of material out of going through these and I'm, I'm so curious to see like just how much they vary you know just like how do the fonts vary how do the you know paginations vary is one like 30 pages long and another is two pages long i'd love to know the differences in how teams are approaching this sort of thing but you've helped us shed some light on how you would do it based on your experience so it's been a pleasure. Tony, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about this.
2: Not a problem. And I would say at the end of the day, it's going to be the team. It's not going to matter what their presentation looks like. It's going to be the team that establishes that personal relationship that isn't just a sales pitch. You can tell yeah. when you connect with somebody.
0: And right.
2: the team that is most able to do that will, will ultimately be successful.
0: Yeah. And that's tough because this is a compressed process, right? It's all unfolding. I mean, you know, within a few weeks here, in that he just hired this agent and the actual bidding is going to be going on very quickly. And so, you know, if you don't already have that relationship, it would probably be tough to establish it now. You'd have to write a really perfect memo, I guess, to to get their attention. But otherwise, you know, teams that have been in japan and have had people in the stands for his starts going back years maybe it will turn out that that will actually help them out in in the long run way down the road here so that'll be interesting to see too all right well thanks again tony it's been a pleasure all right enjoyed it have a good day guys thank you you can support the podcast on patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild five listeners who've already done so include david getz tom dever will brown Steve Kishore and Graham Stewart, thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for editing assistance. We'll be taking your emails next time, so please replenish our mailbag. Send your questions or comments via email at podcastandfangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system. We will talk to you about probably Shohei Otani, but also some other stuff later this week.
2: Anymore, I can't do my own.